0: Lord, what an amazing, amazing privilege and joy it is to praise your name. Oh, Lord, it, it is our heart's desire that that be our story. Everything about us, Lord, would be to praise you. Lord, if we, could, if we could really completely understand that truth, that in perfect submission we have everything, everything. Lord, your desire for us is nothing but good. Oh, Lord, we just pray that as we spend time in your word tonight and as we leave here and go about our our days and our weeks, Lord, that that would become more and more a reality to us, Lord, that we would submit to what you have for us. Lord, we spend so much time fighting you and so often it's not intentional, it's just because we get so wrapped up in everything that's going on and we get focused on those things. Lord, if we fix our eyes on you and... And we, we trust in you and we, we put, to, put to application the truths of your word in our lives. Lord, we have that perfect peace. That peace that passes understanding. a peace that makes the world wonder. Lord, fill this place with your spirit tonight. I thank you for this amazing time of worship to just intimately come before you to share with one another this story, this song that we make our own. Praising you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before you sit down, reach around, say hi to somebody around you, and tell them, I'm a friend of God. Well, good evening. Glad you could all make it out here this evening for our, our study. Uh, if uh, if you're just joining us, this is your first time. We're going through the uh, the Old Testament verse by verse, started in Genesis back in September, and we're just about done. We're getting pretty close. If you'd turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 45, we've been studying over the last few weeks the life of Joseph, what an amazing story that is, and i'm I'm just amazed again and again as to all of the practical things that come out of this story, this story that happened thousands of years ago, and we can pull so many things out of it directly as to how it pertains to us in our lives. Well, we got a few verses into forty five a couple weeks ago. I want to back up and we'll get a running start, so we'll read we'll start in verse one. Joseph, as you'll remember, uh, his brothers now have come back again uh. And he's, he reveals himself to them finally here in our, in our first verses here in this chapter. It says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all of those who stood by him. And he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, Joseph. Is my father still alive? And we talked about last time the, the shock that must have gone through them because he's been talking through an interpreter the whole time. Now he speaks to them in their own native language. I'm Joseph. Boom. And it says, it says, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Probably a huge understatement. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will neither be plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Verse 8, Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, this is where we stopped off last time, and I just want to touch on the point that we made as we closed last time. This kind of verse can point to, and a lot of people can stumble in something like this and say, Well, I can go ahead and do whatever, live however I want to, because God's just going to pick up the pieces anyway. You think, quote Romans 8 28? God's going to work all things together for good anyway. God's sovereignty does not reduce even one little bit our responsibility. And our accountability before him. God is an amazing God. And yes, he picks up the pieces from all of the messes that we make. And he does work it together for our good and his glory. But that should never be an excuse for us to to go off and and, uh, live however we want to live. We are called to be obedient and submitted to him. Well, verse 9. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will also provide for you, for there are still five years of famine to come, and you and your household and all that you have will be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see, and your eye, the, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth which is speaking to you. And again, I can't imagine, all of a sudden, they realize this, and they're saying, it is him, it is him. Now, verse 13, Now you must tell my father of all my splendor in Egypt, and all that you have seen, and you must hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. He kissed all his brothers and wept on them, and afterward, his brothers talked with him. Can you imagine that conversation? I mean, I just, again, I'm trying to think of all of the things that went on. And knowing Joseph, though, and as, he, as knowing his heart, I, I, he probably never brought up one of the things that he felt they were responsible for or anything like that. It was all a joyous reunion. It says that he kissed them all, welcomed them all, even the ones that were so outspoken about even killing him at one point. It says he kissed them all and welcomed them. After they had this time and they talked, it says, now when the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brother had come, it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now verse 19, he steps it up a little bit. He says, now you are ordered... It's not an option. Go do this. You are ordered. Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt and your little ones, or I'm sorry, for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Verse 20, do not concern yourself with your goods, for the best of all of the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each of them he gave changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. To his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and sustenance for his, father's, for his father on the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed he said to them, do not quarrel on your journey. We're seeing a radical change that's going to take place in this family. In Jacob's family, all of, his, all of his sons, grandsons, their wives, all of the children, everything. God is calling them to a totally new place. And there's going to be some things that Joseph is kind of worried about that could happen along the way. And he, he warns them, he provides for them. So often, God calls us to something new. He'll place on our hearts something that, that he wants us to step out in faith to. Now, that might be individually. It might be a family. It might be our church family as God steps out and leads. And we need to understand, and we're going to look at a few principles that we need to avoid in this, in these last few verses that we just discussed, but understand the enemy is going to do whatever he can to disrupt that whole process, to get in the way of that, because he knows that, again, as we talked about earlier, if we are obedient, if we are submitted to the Lord and we follow his guiding and leading, he will bless and we will be a blessing to others. So he wants to do everything he can to get to disrupt this. And the first thing that he so often does is try to get us completely comfortable where we are. Things are good here. Why fix it if it ain't broken? Things are are going along just smoothly and we're really comfortable here. And we can get stuck in that that feeling and that thought that, again, why would I change it? We've always done it this way. We've always gone this way. But look at what he says in verse 20. He says, do not concern yourself with your goods. He doesn't say leave your bads. He says, don't concern yourself with your goods. Even the good things that you have back in your homeland, don't concern yourself with those. And if we look back up to, again, and making this an application in our own life, God might be calling us out of our comfort zone, calling us into something that we're saying, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I'm not comfortable with that. I need to, I need to bring along some of this, this stuff. This is good. This has worked in the past. It's always, it's always been my, you know, my safety blanket. I can fall back on this. And he's saying, don't even bring your goods. Trust me. He says, don't bring your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. God is saying, what you have might be good, but I have something better. I have what's best. The best of the land, the best of my blessings is before you if you will just trust me. If you will trust me, leave that stuff behind. And if we look back up to the, the verse 10, Joseph said, You will live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. You shall be near me. We can never be closer to the Lord than when we are walking in his will. Because when we walk away, it's not that he moves. It's not that he pulls himself away from us. We do the walking away. We're the ones who are pulling away. And he says, if you'll leave that behind, trust me in this. Come where I am leading you with what I am providing for you. I will be there with you. And then he says, verse 11, there I will also provide for you. I love the saying Pastor Chuck Smith said years and years ago and it's been repeated so many times throughout all the Calvary Chapels is where God guides God provides. Where he leads, he does the he provides the provision. He takes care of it what we need. And we have to again be so careful that we don't get comfortable with things. Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, after he had spent some time lo- talking about all of his successes, all of his goods, all of the things that he used to th- hang his hat on and rely so heavily on, he says in verse 8, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And we could probably all tell stories and give examples of how we got to know Jesus even better when we trusted him in a difficult time, when we, when we said, I'm used to doing it this way, but God, your word is telling me something different, and we draw closer to him. He went on to say, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul says, I've lost it all, and I count them all but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. We can't ever be so attached to anything, whether that's something physical, whether that's a job, whether that's a place to live, whether it's close to family, whether it's a ministry, we can't be holding on so tightly that that becomes our focus, that becomes our energy as opposed to what God has for us, even if it's good, even if it's good. I, just, I love the way that verse reads, do not concern yourself with your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. God might be wanting to do a new and fresh work in you. He might want to do a new and fresh work in your family or within your ministry that you're involved in here at the church or with the church itself. And Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, verse 37 and 38, he says, And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled out and the skins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. I heard a a devotion on this several years ago that, again, as I'm reading through this today, I'm brought back to, and I went and I looked it up and read it again. It's interesting, the the two words that are used here. He says, but the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. If you have a New King James, I believe, it translates it new, both cases. But they're two very distinct Greek words. The new wine, neos, means new. But the fresh is kainos, and that means new as respect to form, renewed. That doesn't mean that because you're used to doing something a different way, now you're, we can't pour anything, God can't pour anything new into you because you'll burst. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we need to push you out of the way and bring somebody else in. He's saying you need to be renewed. And it's interesting because back, back in the day, back then, Wine skins were were expensive. It wasn't like you could just go down and buy one at Walmart for a nickel. They were expensive. So what did they do with old wine skins when they wanted to put new wine in them? They would soak them in water until they became elastic again. And isn't that a great parallel when we think that God's word is referred to as water often? And if God is calling us to a new work, a fresh work in us, Even though it's completely uncomfortable. The reason it's probably uncomfortable is because we're dry, crusty wineskins. And we need to be soaked in the word and in the spirit. And then become elastic again. Confession time. The prayer service that we've been having. God laid it on my heart a year ago that we needed to become a church of prayer, focusing on prayer. And if you've been with the church for that length of time, you noticed we we started out about a year ago. We did a 24-hour day of prayer and fasting. We then shortened it up to different times doing it throughout. And then a few months ago, we started Sunday nights. And it's just a time. It's an hour and a half set aside, the first Sunday night of the month, to seek the Lord, to to have the Holy Spirit move. And we have no agenda other than we want to hear from God. We want to meet him face to face. Confession—that is completely uncomfortable for me. I grew up in the Lutheran Church. That's—I guess you might say—Catholic light. <laughs> and you didn't raise your hand in church at all. I mean, ever. You know, you, we'd sing a beautiful song like we just sang, and I love that we're worshiping, we're standing, we're raising our hands, we're praising God. You—you you didn't do that in the Lutheran Church? Are you kidding? And a prayer service would be to recite prayers that we all knew and to ask the Holy Spirit to move. I, I didn't grow up with that. I didn't know anything about that. So when God was calling me to this a year ago and I went to some others and I was talking to them about it, I have to admit I was, I was apprehensive. Things are going along pretty good. Why why would we? Why would we step out into this new area? You know, it could it could really backfire. It could be you know, and and, uh, I'm not comfortable with this. Let's stay where we're comfortable. But God pushed me out of that, and I had to spend some time in the Word and talking with some others and say, pray with me on this, and let's seek the Lord together. And He has blessed that. He has blessed that. So, bottom line, we need to ask ourselves the question: If God is trying to do a new work in you. Are you willing to get soaked? Are you willing to be stretched? Because that's what it takes. But it's glorious when we allow him to do that work. And we're going to see how blessed they are when they are obedient to this. But I mentioned there's several things that we learn in just these last few verses that the enemy will try to do. First of all, he wants to make us comfortable. But if we look at verse 22... It tells us that, that Joseph, to each of them, he gave a change of garments, but to Benjamin, he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And while we have to be so proud of our, our Joseph's brothers here that they didn't get this way, one of the other things that the enemy wants to do is not, if, we, if he can't just make us comfortable, he's going to make us want to compare, to commiserate, to complain, to complain. I mean, the first thing that I, I would, in my flesh, I'm one of the brothers, hey, I got this cool new garment. Hey, check it out. And I look at my brother Benjamin. He's got five of them. What's, what's the deal? He's got all this silver too, and we can, we, can get, we can get caught up in that. And the enemy loves that. He loves to tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, look at that. Look at that over there. How come God's not treating you that way? How come, how come that person's being raised up and, and you're not? You know you have a heart for that ministry, and we can get all wrapped up in that. Understand that all 11 of these brothers, save Benjamin, he wasn't involved in the first thing, but all of them deserved death. Benjamin did too because it was all laid out before him. The evidence was there. They should have probably been executed for stealing. Even though that wasn't their intent, they didn't do that. All of the evidence was there, but they all were given a pardon. They were all given grace. And the same is true for every one of us. We have all been given a pardon. We have all been given grace. And that and that alone should be enough. It's ridiculous to complain about grace. But so often we can catch ourselves doing that, right? Or am I alone? <laughs> Matthew chapter 20. You don't necessarily need to turn there. If you're quick, you can. Jesus tells the parable of a landowner who one morning decided to go out and hire some workers to come, and he offers to pay them a denarius, a day's wage, to come out early in the morning, first thing. And they agree, and they go to work, and a few hours later, he goes and he gets some more to come and work, and he agrees to pay them a denarius too. And then around lunchtime, he goes and gets some more, and later in the afternoon, he gets some more, and he agrees to pay them all a denarius, and then lastly, he goes out one hour before quitting time gets some more guys, brings them in, and says, I'll pay you a denarius too. They work for an hour, and they're the first ones to go get paid. And the ones that were hired first, that worked all day, they start complaining. How come, how come I'm getting paid the same as they are? How come they're receiving the same reward I am? That's not fair. Well, Jesus says in verse 11, When they received it, they grumbled to the landowner, saying, these last men have only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the scorching heat of the day. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree to work for me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I wish to give to the last man the same as you. Is it, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Or is your eye envious Because I am generous. So the last shall be the first, and the first shall be the last. Basically, Jesus is telling us, if we have that feeling, if we get upset and start looking at others and saying, how come they're being blessed? How come they're getting that? What about me? Jesus is saying, we are envious. And we we talked about that on Sunday, what that can lead to. Bitterness. We are to pursue peace. So the enemy would love to get us going on all in, in those directions to keep us again from this work that God is trying to do. But lastly, if we look at verse 24, it says, So he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the journey. Lastly, he would love to condemn us. He would love to get us, get us thinking get us thinking and processing through and remembering things. It's interesting because that word that's translated quarrel makes it sound like he's saying don't fight amongst yourselves on the way back. But the word literally means to tremble, to be agitated, or to be perturbed. And the enemy, as we are stepping out into a new work that God is calling us to, he's going to be whispering in our ear, yeah, but I know you, and you know yourself you consider you call yourself christian you're worthy of this calling that god's giving you and we can start to doubt ourselves revelation 12:10 calls him the accuser of the brethren he continually is accusing us and pointing out our failures and pointing out our mistakes understand we always need to remind ourselves of this first john 1:9 if we confess our sin god is faithful forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the enemy again will continually try to get us tripped up in that and we disqualify ourselves because we stand innocent. We stand righteous before God because Jesus took the penalty for our sin. There's New and good things ahead. There's God things ahead for them and for us. And the enemy wants to agitate it. He wants to disrupt it. Well, our study continues. 25, he says, Then they went up from Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. They told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. Again, probably a big understatement. Stunned. Joseph's alive? When they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. Then Israel said, It's enough, my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Chapter 46. So Israel, Jacob, set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. He said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. Notice a a couple of words here. Verse 2, when God called to Jacob, he said, Here I am. And God said, Go there. I'm here, but go there. Jacob had to go there. He had to trust God again. He had to place his complete confidence. Everything, yeah, there was a famine in the land, but new food had just come. We might be able to last this thing out. Everything's good right here, but he didn't. He went ahead, and he went, and he sought the Lord. And we see this here. I will make you a great nation there. We need to trust God, even when it doesn't make a whole lot of sense sometimes. Even when it seems to, again, go against our our way of thinking. And it's interesting because we're talking about going to Egypt. God said, I will bless you there. What happened when Abraham went there? Did God bless it? It turned out to be a disaster. Egypt in the, in the Bible is a picture of the world, oftentimes referred to as that. So what's the difference here? What's, what's the difference? What, was the problem Egypt? No, because he's saying, I'll bless you there. I think we can find the answer in Isaiah chapter 30. First couple of verses. It says, woe to the rebellious children, declares the Lord, who execute a plan, but not mine, and make an alliance, but not of my spirit, in order to add sin to sin, who proceed down to Egypt without consulting me. The problem wasn't going to Egypt. The problem was, as we talked about way back with Abraham, he didn't consult God first. He was going based on what he understood. He was going based on his knowledge and and he was leaning on his own understanding instead of trusting in the Lord and having him make his path straight. And God is telling Jacob here, I will make your path straight to Egypt and I will bless you there. Again, we continually need to be in his word and in prayer. Now, one thing that's a careful note with this is God will never contradict his word. If you're feeling that God is telling you to go out and be worldly because you're feeling a direct call from God to go do that, it goes, it's, that's contrary to God's word. He doesn't change. But he does have an amazing way to get us again to step out of our comfort zone into thing, areas and things that we never thought we would do. And he says, I'll bless you there. I will take care of you There. Well, it continues. Verse 5, Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent them to carry him. They took their livestock and their property which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and came to Egypt, Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him, his daughters and his granddaughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now, these are the names of the sons of Israel, Jacob and his sons who went to Egypt, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. And then the next several verses kind of do an inventory, give give us a, a roll call, if you would, of the sons of Jacob and their sons. And I'd go through and butcher all these names for you, but you can, I'll let you read through those on your own. It's kind of interesting. Uh, a couple of things in that when it talks about the sons of Levi and the three that are mentioned there, Gershon, Koath, and Merari, the the lines then and the roles that they play. it's that's an interesting study. I went into that today a little bit, and I figured we don't have time to do that, but that's great as to the roles and responsibilities that they have from Koath, the Koathites, that's where that's where Moses was a descendant of. so it's it's interesting to track that through, but I'll let you do that on your own and, and homework. Anyway, Verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came to Egypt, his direct descendants, not including the wives of Jacob's sons, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All of the persons of the house of Jacob who came to Egypt were 70. Verse 28, now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. I think that, again, I came across an interesting little thing today. I, I, I get blessed by these little things, so I'll share them with you. I'm not even going to pretend to tell you that I came up with this. This is awesome. Goshen means drawing near, drawing near. Judah means praise. Jacob sent praise ahead as he drew near. And What a great thing that we'd get to do before we we draw near to the Lord in his word. And in that, we draw near to him in praise as we opened up. Anyway, I thought that was kind of (laughs) cool. Verse 29, Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Now, then Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my, fa- and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls on you, and he's giving his brothers some instructions, when Pharaoh calls on you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. Now, we touched on this a few weeks ago, but why in the world, if shepherds are loathsome to the Egyptians, why in the world would Joseph be saying, tell them your shepherds, in order that they get the land of Goshen, that they're separated from them. They're going to obviously be interacting, and we're going to see how that works in a little bit, but they're going to be interacting with each other, but they are separate. They are separate. What he's saying is don't hide who you are. Don't pretend you're something you're not in order to gain some blessing, in order to get some brownie points, in order to you know move up a couple pegs with Pharaoh. Don't pretend you're something you're not. We need to let the world know who we are. More importantly, or hand in hand with that, we need to let the world know whose we are. We belong to Jesus. He's the one who has saved us. He's the one who has redeemed us. He's the one who has given us eternal life. He's the one who has given us blessing beyond measure. And it's becoming more and more difficult in the world that we live in to be blessed by the world out there when we take a stand for that. But we are absolutely not to cover that up. We are to boldly say that. And you know what? When, when we are marked by him and we are proud of that, he protects us. He watches over us. Matthew 10. Jesus saying, Matthew 10, verse 28, it says, Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but the very hairs of your head are numbered. No laughing. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Jesus, again, is saying... Don't worry about what the world is going to think because you proclaim that you follow God, that you're one of his kids. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about how you're going to provide for yourself. Don't worry about how it might affect your job. Don't worry about how it might affect your status in the neighborhood or all of these other things. You trust God. He's, aren't, aren't you more valuable than sparrows? Yet God takes care of everything that they need. Our desire to be like the world, to be accepted by the world, thinking that that will prosper us, will only backfire in our face. God, we need to trust again that God is going to take care of his own, that we, we hold fast to the promises of his word. We're called to be set apart. And that's what, that's what Jacob or Joseph is saying here. You, you need to stay set apart. You need to stay separated because if we don't do this, the temptation will be so strong to just get acclimated and get sucked right into it. And you probably have known people, maybe family or close friends that that has happened to. They, they don't take a stand for it and they think, well, I, I'll be okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get and before you know it, they drift away and drift away. We need to be set apart. Well, verse chapter 47. Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Now again, I love this. I love that. Here is Joseph again. His brothers. Understand again. Remember what his brothers did. And he's not ashamed of that. He brings brothers five of his brothers with him to go before Pharaoh. He's not ashamed of them. Jesus is not ashamed of you. And so often and I know I know this because it happens to me regularly, I feel like oh man, he's got to be ashamed of me. He's he's called me to be holy. And, and yes, that's my desire. And as we talked on Sunday, yeah, I'm pursuing that. But oh, I, oh, I mess up. I don't, I don't do what I'm supposed to do. And I do the things I don't want to do. And as, as Paul said, a wretched man that I am. And we can say, oh, man, he's got to be ashamed. Have you done something in your past that you feel that Jesus is ashamed of? How about the past day? about the past hour? A thought. Maybe something jump in. And again, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren is saying, you call yourself a Christian and you just had that thought? You just said that to that person under your breath? You call yourself a Christian? Jesus is ashamed of you. Jude 24, amazing verse. Now to him... Who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. We stand in his presence blameless. He's not ashamed of you. He loves you so much that he died for you. He took all of your shame so that we stand before him with great joy. Wow, what what an amazing God. Amazing God. Well, I want to quickly, there's several things I want to cover here, and in in we have time, but I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter and then come back and hit a few things. So follow along with me if you would. Verse 3, 47, verse 3. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. How about that? Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. A couple of quick things, real fast here. I've read this and I've, I've read several different commentaries on this, and I'm not going to try to tell you what, what Jacob meant by this. He did say he was sojourning. That means he's a pilgrim. That means he, he knows that his home is not here, that his home is heavenly. And I choose to think, err on the side, that that's what he's telling Pharaoh in this. He's not complaining, belly aching, what's that going to get him anyway? But that he is comparing it. He's comparing it to what lies ahead, and I believe James quoted that earlier. This stuff that we're doing right now fails in comparison to what lies ahead for us. And if we look ahead real fast, chapter 48, next chapter, verse 15, when he's blessing his kids, he says, he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And may my name live on in them, the names of my father Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. He says, evil have been my days. That's another translation for what he just said to Pharaoh. But in this verse, he said that that the angel redeemed me from all evil. So, again, not going to take a stand one way or another on that. I believe he's pointing to the fact that compared to heaven... It's been pretty unpleasant, but overall, <laughs> that's where I'm going. Sojourning. Anyway, verse 10, "...and Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Verse 12, "...Joseph provided his father and his brothers, all his household, with food, according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land because of the famine was very severe." So that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for their horses and for their flocks and the herds and the donkeys, and he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. By the way, a little footnote, who's taking care of all the livestock? Anyway, job security. When that year was ended, they came to him the next year and said, We will not hide from my Lord. Our money is all spent and the cattle are my Lord's. There's nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests did he not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh, and they lived off the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have today bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you may sow the land. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own for seed, for the field, and for your food, and for those of your households, and for food for your little ones. Wow, twenty percent tax, unreasonable. So, so they said, "You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves." Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day, that Pharaoh should have a fifth, only, only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. Verse 27. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it, and were fruitful, and became very numerous. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. Contrast what's going on here. We have All of those in the world, in Egypt, in Canaan, they're they're chasing the world, they're doing those things, they're they're following that, and they they get further and further in debt and further and further into slavery. Look at, just compare the, the verses, verse 12 and 13. It says, Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food according to their little ones. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. When they're all losing everything that they have and, and giving it up, chasing what is out there, God separated people, God's called people, says in verse 27, they lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous. The further in debt they got, the more blessed God's people became. And I think, again, just a couple of things as we look back on, on this, that we need to really focus on, again, as followers of Christ in the world that's around us, that is getting further and further in debt, in slavery to sin. We see it all around us. And it is, it is troubling. It is, it, it's got to stir your heart to see that. But we're called, as Jacob's family was called, to be separate, to be distinct to be set apart, to be holy. That's what, it, that's what holy means, to be set apart, to be consecrated. We get, we get all involved and absorbed into the world and into worldliness, we can fall into slavery, into what is going on there. Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seek him first seek his righteousness, and then everything else that we need, he will provide for us. He promises that. Yet so many people, even people in the church, some Christians will get caught up in the, in the rat race and trying to chase things down, not trusting in God, trusting in their own efforts, and it's, it gets us so off of God's plan for us. Jesus said, what does it benefit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? So we need to be distinct. We need to be set apart. But also, notice, interesting thing when we go back to Jacob and Pharaoh when they met. It says that Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, in this time, the blessing always came from the greater to the lesser. Always. Here we have Pharaoh, who's getting richer by the day as people are giving more and more money for food and he's acquiring land and he's acquiring everything, the, the richest man on the planet, and here's Jacob who just showed up with a wagon full of stuff. And that's it. And Jacob is the greater in God's economy and the only real economy that matters. Guys, we need to bless others, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they might have materially. They might look like a huge success in the world. They might have the biggest house, have all the money, have all the toys, look like life is just cruising along just great, but without Jesus, they don't have anything. We need to, we need to bless the world with the good news. And again, not worried about what the world might think. We need to be obedient. story is told of an evangelist, Peter Cartwright, many years ago. And he was about ready to get up and, and preach a sermon. And he was told just before he got up to speak that President Andrew Jackson was in the building. And so they said, be careful what you say. Because the president's here. And so Peter Cartwright got up and just as he was about to begin his message, he, was, he said... I've been told that President Andrew Jackson is amongst us tonight. And if President Andrew Jackson does not repent and receive Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, he will spend eternity in hell. And he opened up his Bible and he began preaching. Andrew Jackson came up to him afterwards and said, if I had an army full of men like you, I could conquer the world. <laughs> not afraid. Now, I might... I might say, that you might want to go a little softer touch than than Mr. Cartwright used as you're talking to your neighbors. But we have something they don't. We have a blessing to give to them that they desperately need. And really, it, it just comes right down to priorities and where our focus is. Again, as we've been talking about on the weekends, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, running the race with endurance that's set out before us. We do that, we will be blessed. We get off course, that's when things start getting, getting squirrely. We start getting dislocated joints. Setting priorities. And we see, even after all of the blessing that came to Jacob through all of this, imagine the years, and it talks about the prosperity and how they grew and they multiplied Listen to Jacob. He has his priorities straight at the end of his life. Verse 28, Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I have found favor in your sight, place your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. He said, Swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel bowed in worship at the head of his bed. Even after seeing all of the blessing and everything that was there, he said, This isn't my resting place. I'm going to go on and be in heaven, but take me, take my, my body and bury it with my, with my father's. In the land, the promised land that that God has promised us. He had his priorities still set. I'm going to honor God. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do what he is calling me to do. With my my last breath, I want to do that. Well, that's our study for tonight. We'll pick up in chapter 48 next week. But I guess, again, as I'm studying through this and, and preparing, I... I still feel all the time that God is saying, I have something special for you. I have something special for this body. I have something special for everyone that is mine. And if we are open to hear from him and we are willing to follow him wherever that may lead, he will provide for us there, he will bless us along the way, and ultimately we will stand before him and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we are amazed and blessed by you. Lord, again, this this amazing story of this family that just seemed so torn apart by by the world and chasing after own selfish uh, desires. Yet, Lord, you did a miraculous work in this family through one man, Joseph. And Lord, it is our desire to hear from you. It's our desire to be used by you. So, Lord, our prayer tonight is that we would never get comfortable where we are. No matter where we are in our lives, Lord, that we would never get comfortable there because until we stand before you, you have work for us to do. And, Lord, that we would never compare with one another, that we wouldn't complain about the blessings you've given to us when we look at the blessings you've given to others. Lord, forgive us for that. And Lord, that we would ignore the condemnation that comes from the enemy. That we would stand in the truth that there is no condemnation for us because you took the shame, you took the penalty in our behalf. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Use us. Use us this week in a special way. Lord, let us bring a blessing, the blessing of the good news of the gospel to someone this week who desperately needs it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.